I'm John DiLibretto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. Today, we were supposed to hear our interviews with Hans Joachim Rodelius and Thievery Corporation, but the passing of Harold Budd this week has pushed that back. So instead, I've got Doug Condance, who came in at number three of the 30 icons of Echoes. I've got a profile that takes us through their career from Australia to Gothic success to breakup and world fusion return. Then we remember Harold Budd, the quiet, ambient giant whose albums Plateau of Mirror, The Pearl, and Avalon Sutra are classics in the genre. I've been interviewing Harold Budd since 1980, and we'll hear from parts of a lot of them, along with comments from Brian Eno, John Fox, John Adams, and more. What can you say about Harold? One of the most important musicians around for me and for many other people. His work is unlike anything else, really, uh, around, and he's influenced so many people. Before we get to that, I want to tell you about a new release from the Spotted Peccary label. It's an album called Consciousness and Other Tricks of the Light by Ben Cox. It's a deep, ambient album of synthesizer and guitar textures where it doesn't sound like guitar. It's music to take you into another, deeper dimension with slow-motion, minimalist melodies. Consciousness and Other Tricks of the Light by Ben Cox is available from Amazon, iTunes, and other retailers. The world is a place that I'm looking forward to escaping, and that's the truth. I think the reason why you you do music in the first place is because you need to go somewhere that is intimately away from the world. Dead Can Dance is an ominous name. Brendan Perry, one half of Dead Can Dance, said it means giving life to inanimate objects through sound. Hearing Dead Can Dance is like being immersed in the sounds of an ancient culture and an archaic language.
That possessed voice belongs to Lisa Gerard, who sometimes sings in ancient dialects like Latin or Aramaic, but usually she's creating her own hybrid language. The thing that's important to me is to break the barrier of language and to communicate something without words. And that's for everyone. Brendan Perry. I suppose the best way to explain her approach to human voices and instruments is, in a sense, speaking in tongues as opposed to any particular tongue. They're all influenced by various languages and, and, and things, but have no syntaxial meaning in any given language. While Lisa Gerard rarely sings in English, Brendan Perry does, intoning his 20th century troubadour ballads in a rich tenor that simultaneously recalls Jim Morrison and Frank Sinatra, but singing in a monastery. His lyrics are steeped in the imagery of crosses, Christ, and sin. He sees the music of Dead Can Dance as an expression of the personal pain and sadness of life. I feel there is a sense of joy within that music too. It's a it's a joy diffused with a sense of suffering, but in order to put it into balance, a contextual balance, the suffering aspect for us is, outweighs that, and that's where our passions come from. Fighting against injustice, fight, fighting against um, suffering. When all the leaves have fallen and turned to dust, well, we Dead Can Dance came together in the early 1980s in Australia, where their parents had emigrated from Ireland and England. They fell in love with each other and Arabic music. When I first met Lisa in, in Australia, we were on the dole at the time, and we worked in a few Arab restaurants, Lebanese restaurants and things, and they used to play a lot of Middle Eastern music at the time and we used to take them home and make copies of them. We just fell in love with that music together. They continued to discover the various sounds that made up their music. Gerard mixed Gregorian, Middle Eastern and Bulgarian open throat singing styles and plays the Yang Chin, a Chinese hammered dulcimer. Perry played the bazooki, a Greek stringed instrument, the Persian flute called the ney, synthesizers and hurdy-gurdy. It gave Dead Can Dance the sound of a music troupe from an imagined antiquity.
There's a rapturous, dervish-like feel to much of the music from Dead Can Dance. Brendan Perry says songs like Avatar are based in mantra and trance principles. I think that if it's one thing in common with dervish music is it's the concept of, of the mantra, of the chant, and the sequential type, revolvement, the constant repetition around a centrifugal-based center enables us to slip into an alternate type of consciousness. band recorded a string of albums exploring these sounds like Aeon, Into the Labyrinth, and The Serpent's Egg. When their music wasn't ecstatic, it was often melancholic. Although some people cry when they hear my work, I don't believe it's because it makes them sad. I believe it's because it makes them feel. Lisa Gerard sang of the ineffable, it's through Brendan's songs that you heard the breakup of this duo who had fallen out of love by the time they made their studio album Into the Labyrinth. Although both artists denied it at the time, Brendan Perry's snarling song, The Ubiquitous Mr. Lovegrove, seems to speak to their relationship. It's such a powerful monster. I mean, it's like an animal that sort of has a life of its own and growls off I don't think that it really has to do with human relationship. I think it has to do with Brendan's relationship with himself. At least, that's what he told me. It's called the ubiquitous Mr. Lovegrove because it's like the ubiquity of what love means to me in, in terms of my relationship with, with with women in the past, being, being a heterosexual male than I am. So the song is more about myself and the abstraction of, of myself and trying to deal with those things, you know. Be a slave and a master. You build me up and you knock me down. You play the fool while I play the clown. We keep time to the beat of an old sleep drum. You raise my hopes and you raise the odds. You tell me that I dream too much. Now I'm suing time in a domestic graveyard. 
song called Yulunga, used in the Ron Fricky film Baraka, signaling a move away from their earlier gothic sounds and into something more tribal. Aboriginal word, Yulunga. What a powerful word echoing through the universe. You know, it means spirit dance and it's perfect for that piece because it really is something that we've always wanted to achieve and that is to have a raw, exposed relationship with the inner work and, and the primal sort of aspects of the work. sound of Yulunga continued on their album, Spirit Chaser. It was an ecstatic African-Indian Middle Eastern excursion with some of their most energized music. Well, I had a huge collection of drums lying around the church for a long time, screaming at me every time I passed them, use me, use me, you know, they're like a family of... And we'd have like sessions, a lot of percussion sessions with friends. We'd get together, up to ten more people singing and playing drums. Most of the time when we were making this record, I know it sounds hard to believe, but we were dancing, you know, sort of dancing around. I mean, I remember one day when Brendan got so excited that he knocked the flute off the top of the, <laughs> of, the of the tape machine and chipped its beak. But we were very, very excited and, and really enjoying it. Spirit Chaser wasn't buoyant, but it was the most celebratory of Dead Can Dance albums. It was also their last studio album for 16 years. The duo had already broken up as a romantic couple and they broke up as a band as well. Lisa Gerard went on to a solo career recording several albums. She'd already made The Mirror Pool in 1995. Her own music is more personal. She hears her sound as a way of going and deeper into yourself. It's um a direct abstract link with coming into contact in a spontaneous way through our original voice, our voice that we're born with, you know, not our spoken word that we learn later to communicate the practical things, but our other voice that's just as real and, and even more essential.
Lisa Gerard found an added dimension in her music with film soundtracks. Initially, directors and composers sought her for her voice. In 2000, she was called in as a performer for director Ridley Scott's Gladiator. But she became a co-composer with Hans Zimmer as they improvised music. Hans Zimmer. There's a purity of spirit there that gives her such strength. It's just amazing. Has scored several more movies besides Gladiator, including The Insider with Peter Burke and Whale Rider with composer Jeff Rona. Lisa is a musician, first and foremost, and she, her integrity lies with her, her notes, her feeling, her wisdom. At times, she will lose track of where this music is going when it comes time to be part of a film. But her instincts are never wrong about music. I have had people say, you know, what is this piece? What is this piece? And they just haven't got it. And it's only when people sitting behind them have been crying that they've realised that they're not hearing what someone else is hearing. Lisa Gerard has collaborated with artists as diverse as the mysterious voices of Bulgaria and German electronic icon Klaus Schulze. Brendan Perry has also released solo recordings. His latest is a take on Greek Rebetiko. I'm a fine man, guy, so in a classy hashtag. 
I'm a fine man, guys, on a classy hash stand. And I am a crafty roller of the dice. Yes, I am a crafty roller of the dice. Following some successful reunion tours, Perry and Gerard got back together as a band in 2012 to record the album Anastasis. But the duo didn't pick up where they left off with the world music sounds of Spirit Chaser in 96. Instead, they went back to the sound they're most identified with from the 1980s. Well, look, it's interesting because when Brennan started sending me stuff, you know, over early on, I thought this is just so absolutely dead can dance. I mean, it was just amazing. In 2018, Dead Can Dance released their ninth studio album, Dionysus. It's more of a Brendan Perry project than Lisa's, who was barely on it. Brendan tapped into the physical ecstasy of Dionysus that leads to a higher state of consciousness. You could say that about most of the music from Dead Can Dance. One thing that, that they tried to achieve was, well, the Greeks called it ecstasis, which means ecstasy. And they tried to get to this place, um, by going out of your mind, by, by losing your, your, your ego, by not being self-conscious. And they, they did this in a number of ways. They did it, generally speaking, always with, with dance and music um, to induce trance. Brendan Perry brings the mystic to themes of the modern world. Lisa Gerard lets her emotions fly in her own universe with her incantatory superlingua vocals. It's a celebration of, of, of love, really. Revisiting the language, the pathway that we have between being able to communicate from a very singular and very sacred part of the soul and share that with others, that you create that bridge. It's quite abstract, it's a love bridge.
Lisa Gerard and Brendan Perry have created some of the most transcendent music of the last four decades, tapping into an archetypal spirit. They are the fourth of 30 icons of Echoes. Our documentary on Dead Can Dance was produced, edited, and written by me, John DiLiberto. It was mixed by Jeff Town. Jeff is also the producer of Echoes. This is a production from Echoes and PRX. Dead Can Dance, the fourth icon of Echoes. Coming up, we remember Harold Budd. Before we get to that, I want to thank everybody who contributed to the Echoes Fall fundraiser. Only our second fundraiser in 31 years where we actually asked listeners for the support of the show and the podcast. And it came through. We still have a ways to go, however, to make our budget for 2020. So if you haven't given yet, you can still do it at echoes.org. And while I love the $25 pledges as much as the $1,000 ones, it really takes those bigger contributions to make an impact. So if you've got it, please give it. And if you don't, do what you can. Go to echoes.org now. After all, what other podcast is going to cover Harold Budd and Dead Can Dance in the same show? And now, let's enter the quiet as we remember Harold Budd. What can you say about Harold? One of the most important musicians around for me and for many other people. What he's done is remarkable because he managed to isolate something unique and um, work with that for a, for a very long time. His work is unlike anything else really uh, around and he's influenced so many people. That was John Fox talking about composer Harold Budd, who has left the planet. A pioneer of ambient chamber music who had a deeply personal and influential sound, succumbed to complications from COVID-19 on December 7th. Harold was a friend of Echoes who had been on the show many times, playing live three times, and giving us many sardonic interviews. This year, he was anointed the 24th of 30 Icons of Echoes. Harold Budd is a legend of the ambient world, but like his music, he's a subtle legend, known probably more among musicians than fans. His early 1980 albums with Brian Eno, The Plateau of Mirror and The Pearl, are among the early signposts of ambient music. Older artists like Tim Story and John Fox of Altervox genuflect at Bud's altar, while a new generation of composers including Balmoray, Ola for Arnold's, Mary Lattimore, and Nils Petermolver have been influenced by his work. His collaborations have included Andy Partridge of XTC and guitarist Bill Nelson.
playing in, in a club in home at four o'clock at night and you're wasted and then I put on some Harold Budd and I just went into this uh, state of mind where I could sleep <laughs> and I still listen to it uh, actually I like Harold Budd's music a lot he's pretty pretty but there's there's just a certain quality to it which which it isn't schlock I had this image of, of a very strange, big Paul Bunyan guy who, was, who played f like feathers on the piano. Norwegian trumpeter Nils Petter Molver, classical composer John Adams, and U2 and Peter Gabriel producer Daniel Lenoir talking about the sound of Harold Budd, a musician who makes music that is almost barely there. Born in 1936, Harold Budd had that laid-back demeanor of a golf pro. He started out as a jazz drummer in the 1950s, then after a stint in the service, he went to college and started composing. A student of avant-garde jazz and Schoenberg-style serialism, Harold Budd revolted and began making what he rebelliously called pretty music. I'll tell you at the time, to use the word pretty music, was a kind of um, political statement because it was against the received wisdom of what avant-garde music was at the time, which was confrontational and purposefully ugly, is what I call it. I just wanted candy. You know, I wasn't expressing uh, my inner being. I wasn't doing anything except just trying to make it as devastatingly pretty as I possibly could. Although Harold Budd's music is usually based around the piano, he didn't actually have one in any of his homes. The piano is aesthetically awful. It's an ugly thing. Form follows function perfectly, and it's just awful. I learned how to play it, if, if that's what you want to call what I do, out of uh, self-defense, really, because there was no way that I could adequately uh, notate my intentions. That may be because Harold Budd's music doesn't translate to notes on a page. It's what's between the notes, the silences, the decays, his response to echoes and effects that make his sound so powerful. Brian Eno recalls how Budd's intuitive approach interacted with his own electronic treatments on their second album together, The Pearl. It's actually a technique that I really learned from working with Harold Budd, funnily enough, because with him I used to set up quite complicated treatments and then he would go out and play the piano and 
you would hear him discovering as he played how to manipulate this treatment, how to make it ring and resonate, which notes work particularly well on it, which register of the piano. John Fox worked with Brian Eno when Eno produced the debut album of his band Ultravox, and he recorded Translucence and Drift Music with Harold Budd in 2003. What I love about them is they are sort of not moored to any time signature or strict tempo, and they flow beautifully, I think, those pieces. I love the way Harold plays like that. He's, he's got his own time zone and operates uniquely inside it. And uh, it's, it's great to, to work with that kind of material. It's quite difficult sometimes because you've got to, if you move along with it, because I, I like to do things in the background sometimes very quietly, it's, you can't prejudge what he's going to do. But that's part of the thrill of the whole thing. It's a very small, delicate universe that he makes and I, I really love it. Plateau of Mirror and the Pearl remain signpost works of Harold Budd and save the musicians from experiencing what would likely have been a shy and retiring career as an academic composer. Instead, he was simultaneously thrust into the worlds of contemporary classical music and art rock. He collaborated with Andy Partridge of XTC, the late music auteur Hector Zazu, bassist Bill Laswell and Ja Wobble, and Cock Robin guitarist Clive Wright. Their first impression of Harold Budd's music was probably similar to that of guitarist Robin Guthrie, who's been recording with Budd since the 1980s with the Cocteau Twins. I thought it was really slow, isn't it? <laughs> Guthrie and Bud have gone on to record film scores and albums together, including The Diptych, After the Night Falls, and Before the Day Breaks. Harold Budd often worked from a metaphorical base. He was always writing poetry and began recording it on his album by the dawn's early light. The advent of arrows foreshadows the dream, the serpent's shaft of tourmaline, the spark of grief for a life unseen. It's the spider's eye of tourmaline. Even his titles are poetic. In 2009, sitting at a piano at Knob World Studios in the Echo Park section of Los Angeles, Harold Budd opened up a small notebook. I always have a notebook with me. I write down song titles the way that um, I sketch out poetry ideas or something like that. Yeah. Often those titles create a psychological space that Bud inhabited in his music, like his composition, The Room of Forgotten Children. The Room of Forgotten Children is, there, there is no such thing. In me it triggers a certain sense of loss and a, a kind of poignance that um, in, in its way seems attractive, not unlike uh, some of the black and white images in 
some of Jean Cocteau's films. They're very distant and um, somewhat unsettling, but a little bit, a little bit wrong in a way. That's a nice idea. A bout with depression in the mid-2000s led to Harold Budd declaring his retirement, but that proved to be short-lived. As he approached his mid-80s, Harold Budd was still creating music of mood and melancholy, where less is sometimes more. 2019, he was celebrated at the Big Ears Festival, where his music was performed by several other artists, including the ensemble, Neef North, harpist Mary Lattimore, keyboardist Tim Story, and Acme Strings. Through it all, Budd clung to his self-image as an outsider. I'm not really a, a musician or insofar as I am a musician, I'm not a well-rounded one. There are very few things I can do as a musician. The one thing that I can do is pretty much what I do. Now, to some people, that's terribly restrictive, I guess, but to me, it doesn't... Um, God, I've only scratched the surface. That surface will now be scratched by other musicians following in Harold Budd's gentle wake. Harold Budd brought beauty to the world, one thoughtful water drop of a note at a time. Now his spirit hangs over Joshua Tree and the desert southwest that he loved and that influences music so much. Harold Budd, gone at 84. We would have been doing this special some weeks down the road as we celebrated Harold Budd as the 24th of 30 Icons of Echoes, but Harold's passing made us get to it a bit earlier. In the Echoes website, I've got a posting for five essential Harold Budd albums. That's at echoes.org. Next week on the Echoes podcast, I've got Hans Joachim Redelius from the German group's Cluster and Harmonia, and we'll hear about Thievery Corporation from Eric Hilton and Rob Garza. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight on the radio somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now, or whenever the heck you want. <laughs>